My name is Stevie Richards and I'm the owner and founder of Stevie Richards Fitness. I started Stevie Richards Fitness with one simple mission statement, to help others. I know what it's like to be injured. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to be in pain each and every day of your life. I also know how to modify to overcome that pain, to overcome that discomfort, to overcome your injuries. And that's why I created the programs I did at Stevie Richards Fitness. Every single exercise has a modification. Everything can be successfully completed, no matter your age or fitness level. And that's what I infused in the 12 and 16 week resistance band training programs to pass along to you at an affordable, accessible price. Believe in yourself because I believe in you and I'm here to help you every step of the way. Voices of Misery Podcast. This show isn't for the easily offended, so PC Police on Patrol stand by. You've been warned. Now, let's join the Nerd and Nerdette with another podcast for that ass. It's everybody, and we are live on Twitch right now. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. Don't blink twice. We are on the Conspiracy Horseman Twitch channel. Why is that? Because our guest today is the man himself. I've been chasing this man down for a very long time. He's very fast, but he finally slowed down a bit for me to catch up to him. You guys know who he is. You can tell by the gruff voice, the buff physique, the beautiful face, and all that stuff that comes along with it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stevie Richards. How are you, Stevie? I'm doing great. That's a that's a great intro. Uh, yeah, I, I grew a beard to cover my face, so it can it can not look uh, as old as it really looks. And what was the other thing? Go oh, gruff voice. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> gruff body's getting tougher as you get older, but that's uh, that's that's what life is all about, I guess. And the conspiracies well, will end up getting me murdered anyway, so it's it's fine. <laughs> well, before we get into this, I do want to say thank you because um, about a year ago, a lot of our listeners understand this, but uh, I started intermittent fasting and I tried to just live a better lifestyle due to the words that you were putting out on your Twitter page and how you were saying how it changed your life and how just basically fitness plays such a big role. And I was like, maybe I could do this too. And I didn't try Stevie Richards Fitness. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten the, the time yet. I live a very sedentary lifestyle. I don't really move around too much. But the intermittent fasting and just the keto lifestyle that you preached, you know, way back when, it really helped me out. And I've lost over 100 pounds, man. So I just wanted to say that at the top oh, of the show. Well, I mean, you did all the work. Congratulations. And, uh, you know, if you add a fitness regimen of any sort, not even just the, the bands or anything, but if you're going to exercise, imagine how much further along you'll get and how much better you'll feel. But they, taking that 100 pounds off is really important in the beginning. You know, it's hard to exercise with an extra 100 pounds on you. So diet, diet's really, really important. I want to just give a little bit of a kind of have a caveat on the keto diet. Intermittent, intermittent fasting is, uh, is something that people do anyway, sometimes too much because people don't eat enough uh, within that window like intermittent fasting kind of tells you to do. But the keto diet's not for everybody. And currently I'm not on it because my wife and I made – an agreement made a deal that I would do it through two blood tests, two annual blood tests. And my annual blood test still 
didn't, you know, it spikes certain things and it's supposed to kind of come down and level off after a while. Uh, yeah. But for me, it didn't do that. So I'm just on a basic, I'm on a low carb, like no sugar diet. Like basically all my carbs are um, mostly vegetables, like more nutrient dense carbs rather than a lot of rice and pastas and stuff like that. So um, the keto diet is something that I didn't quite work out with my body chemistry. Uh, but for people like you that needed to lose a ton of weight and eliminate all the sugars and the, the, the processed carbs and all that stuff and, and, and infuse the good fats in your diet, it, it's good for that. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I feel unbelievable now. And just getting up in the morning and just looking in the mirror and just buying clothes for yourself. I've never had so much fun spending money than buying a new wardrobe for myself. And that was the most rewarding part of it all. And my wife and my friends and people at work seeing me and they're like, hey, man, you look sick. And I'm like, hey, I'll take that as a compliment because I'm losing weight. <laughs> well, healthy is sick in pro wrestling, too, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> Well, like you do have Steve Richards Fitness, and I just wanted to ask you because there's so many different workout programs out there. How do you develop your own program? Like, because it's it feels like everything's been done. You, know, you got lunges, squats, you got all this other stuff. How 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 is yours unique? Well, mine's unique because it takes a lifetime of what I thought it was a curse, and it turned into a blessing. Talking about all my injuries, all the limitations I thought were limitations of traveling on the road and not having access to gyms. And then really back, back in the day, not having any money. So a combination of all those things of, okay, I want to be able to work around my injuries, which people, I can't fake all the injuries that I had throughout wrestling. They're do well documented on YouTube. So there's a lifetime experience goes into the program from there. Then it's talking about like, obviously I'm in a hotel room. I'm at a gate with a delayed flight. I'm not going to make the gym when I land. And as silly as it sounds, I would work out resistance bands at the gate before my flight going into the town because I knew I would have to be dressing in my gear on the way to the arena for the first match. So there'd be a lot of times I'd be getting out of the car, hear my music hit, and go straight out to the ring without calling a thing. So, um, but I wanted to get, I got my workout in. I got something in throughout the day. Uh, also with traveling, the bands are really easy to carry around. Uh, but then the last part is, I really wanted to make the program, I say affordable and accessible. The accessible is what I just talked about. The affordable is even these PDF programs that don't offer any support. You've seen them online. You've seen the landing pages that oh, are 100 old. scrolls, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, God damn, I want to buy it. Just give me the fucking link. You know what I mean? Don't make me keep scrolling. I get it. <laughs> but, but, uh, for 15 bucks and 25 bucks. And then the videos are around 13, except for the shoulder mobility is five. Essentially you can buy everything on my program or almost everything on the site, including some resistance bands on a door anchor for the price of their PDF. And they don't offer support. Cause I, when I was researching this, uh, two, three years ago, without three, four, and then I developed it about three, three years ago and then put it out and then started to grow from there. I was buying all these programs because I have to know what's out there. I have to know what the PDFs look like. I have to know if I ask a question, are they going to answer it? Or how long's the usual turnaround time with a reply? I kid you not that each, I'm talking about, and I don't care because people have talked about it, the insanity shred, uh, the other uh, resistance bands that some of the women sell on their PDFs, not one reply to any of my questions post sale, pre-sale. Oh yeah, they'll answer it. But obviously it's probably their assistant or somebody 
underneath them answering it because they're pretty huge. But post-sale, I did not get one answer. Uh, even saying, hey, I want to buy your like other product. How's it compared to this? Nothing. Yeah. So, Jesus. well, you know, that's, I can either look at it and say, okay, well, that's what they do. That's what the standard is. And that's, that's all I'm going to do. But, you know, I'll, I'll do what I did in wrestling. Everybody's doing this. I'll go over here and do this. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, oh, it makes, yeah, it makes perfect sense for sure. I mean, the, the thing about it is if you buy a product from somebody, you're connected to that person in one way or another. And I guarantee you a lot of the wrestling fans that know who you are buy it because it's your product. And the fact that they can have that one-on-one conversation via email and that support system, it's, it's really cool. And I guess that makes it worth the $15 alone or whatever they're spending for the, for, for the fitness program. Uh, you would, you would think so, <laughs> but my wrestling fans are, you know, they're a unique bunch. I do have a lot of wrestling fans that buy the program, but I ha- actually, most of my people are what we call civilians people that don't, that don't know anything about wrestling, but they see the price, they get the answer. And yeah, 99% of the time in person train, anything in fitness, you're buying, you're buying the, the, the personality you're buying the person people like Tony Horton because he's so funny. He is, he's a funny guy. He's open. He, he goofs mm-hmm. on himself. He made beach body what it is today. So you do beach body, not because it's beach body, but you're like, Oh, P 90 X. You don't think of the, um, the equipment. You don't think of the exercise. You think of Tony Horton. Oh yeah. Uh, so, seen so, commercials. Yeah. And he, you know, that's, that's kind of what, when we when we looked way back at it, I tried to be everything to everybody, and I'm, I'm sure you've kind of followed some of the evolution of the programs. I was trying to do everything. I was trying to do weights for uh, people want to lift heavy. I'll do a section for that. People want to work out with dumbbells. I'll do something like that. And my wife stopped me and said, "You're you're going to kill yourself and burn yourself out because you're doing everything for everybody." What's wrong with being the resistance band guy? What's wrong with kind of being that guy who's associated with resistance bands? And I said, well, you're absolutely right. She goes, you use them all the time. So just transfer yeah. that, but be, but be transparent too. Like, like I'm very transparent because you see my, my home gym over there and some of the videos or the stories on, on Instagram. I want Stevie Richards fitness to either be, to be what it really is supposed to be. Resistance mm-hmm. bands are for people that are just starting out and have no idea. Resistance bands are for somebody that doesn't want to spend a lot of money. And resistance bands are definitely for people that are injured and need the rehab or need to use something where momentum's not going to damage their joints or anything like that. And that's, you know, but, but I don't make these, um, I don't make these claims that that's all I do. Where a lot of people in fitness make it seem like this is all I do. This is all and you're right behind them. They're, they're, they're telling you all they do is like isometrics or body weight exercises and behind, behind them is a $5,000 rack. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. A row of dumbbells. Come on. They are a couple of dumbbells. They want us to believe that shit. People but... do though, man. People do. It's the Jedi mind trick. And, and unbelievably people, even though they don't, they don't think miracles exist. They want to believe that miracles exist with well, your, your weight loss, a hundred pounds. Yeah. If you hadn't lost it, if, if you lost a hundred pounds in a month, you'd probably be dead. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I think in the first couple of months I lost like 40 pounds in like two months. Cause it was an excess fat after I quit that diet, my body went into shock 
and I just dropped so much weight because just, you know, no carbs, no sugar. My diet consists of having a lot of alcohol and making bad decisions like eat, eating a whole box of pizza, eating candy from the kid's candy jar from Halloween, you know, and all that shit just built up and just not having it. You wouldn't believe it. Like, I don't have cravings for sugar anymore. I can walk past. My kids have a bowl still from Christmas candy from like last year and Halloween candy from this year. Just just piled up and I could walk past it and not touch it anymore. You really adapt and just get over it. Yeah. And, and most of that was probably even water weight or taking the beer weight off. I wouldn't even say it was your fat because fat takes a while to, to, to kind of get out of your body. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, yeah. but, but but it's a long thing. And I, I it's a lifetime journey and a lot of things in life. You can learn a lot from fitness because everybody today wants it right now, wants to come out of college, making a hundred grand a year, wants to do all the, nobody, nobody, it feels like nobody wants to pay their dues. That's what it feels like to me, at least compared to the way I came up in wrestling. And even now kind of being semi-retired, I have to pay my dues all over again with whatever I want to do. I have to start over. I have to realize that they're not going to, they may look at the wrestler and say, okay, well, I'll give them a shot. Or they may look at the wrestler and say, I'm not going to hire a dumb wrestler to do this voiceover <laughs> job. I'm not going to hire a dumb wrestler as my trainer. I'm not going to buy this dumb wrestler's fitness program. You see what I mean? It, it could be polarizing yeah, yeah. one way or the other. Well, I want to ask you because you, you, you just said semi-retired and I saw a match with you and a man. I, and I'm probably going to get his name wrong. Um, PJ Hawk, I think his name was PJ Hawks. Correct. Oh, okay. PJ Hawks. Okay. So like he hit you in the back of that with the, with, with, with the beer bottle. And, and I was like, Oh man, like I, I was really into that match. It was awesome. Is it still fun for you to do this? That that was fun. That was okay. fun because it, it's a, it's kind of a good spot for me to be in right now. And I say semi-retired because I'm not doing it full-time. So even if I did it every weekend, I'm semi-retired. I'm not on TV anymore. That that thing what I did with PJ was a, also a storyline to build up that I had 100% control over. And then I the feedback from him and Luke Hawks, the promoter, and other people. But essentially, I'm I'm able to paint my own painting with whatever paints and canvas I want to. And, and the reason why the reaction came up like that is because we did a story over months and months and months that was documented of, and it wasn't like, Hey, I'm a bad guy now. And this is what I'm doing. It was, it was legitimately like what people were probably saying that PJ was getting all these opportunities very early in his career. And I was <laughs> just pointing that out. So as, as being a heel, there has to be some level of truth to what you say. So I was just saying to Luke, hey, man, you broke your kid in wrong. You're giving him way too many opportunities. You need to let him go out there. You need to go out there and let him fail. You need to let him don't have him on the umbilical cord anymore, you know? <laughs> I, but 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 it got people hot because it wasn't me saying, I hate you and I'm going to do. It was me saying a slight truth that, that I any veteran wrestler would believe in. No, I don't believe that. PJ is, has, has held up his end of the bargain. And if he wasn't performing, Luke would take him off shows. Trust me. Uh, oh, but but oh, thank you. I mean, I, that was one of my favorite matches. And if that was my last match that I've ever done, I'd be very satisfied with it. Well, I, I was very happy. I saw the link because I, I was checking out your Facebook page and I saw you posted the link and you were really proud of the match. And I and I watched it. And I thought it was an awesome match. It was a hell of a time. And it kind of harkens me back to a time when wrestling was fun. And I haven't watched religiously probably since 2005, 2006-ish. And I don't know what happened to wrestling in general. And I was hoping maybe you can shed some light on this. But back in the day when you were in the right to censor, you kind of foretold the future. And I think that gimmick would get over huge nowadays because everything you said back then is true today. 
And what I wanted to kind of ask you was the birth of social media. Do you think that ruined professional wrestling and how the fans and wrestlers should probably be farther apart, not closer together? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what life would be like or how I would look at Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage <laughs> if they were tweeting, if Ultimate Warrior was tweeting and he oh, was geez. without the makeup and the tassels and he was talking like a regular guy. Oh, which man. one could be said, Ultimate Warrior really still had that intensity in, in whatever videos or other content or whatever he wrote. So it wasn't really a gimmick. It was just turned up a yeah. little bit. But he seemed very intense and very just, you know, into like living the life the way he needed to live it. Um, if Savage, well, Savage's voice was kind of the same anyway. So, but if you, if you had Savage acting like he hated Hogan and then him and Hogan were out on the boat on the weekend uh, yeah. outside of TV or they were besties, like Ben, Ben gets mad. Ben Hameen gets so mad when he sees Alexa Bliss and Ember Moon are in a big angle on TV, or at least at the time it was something. And then they're going out to get like chocolate or they, they're, they're, she's in the backseat of the car. She does the selfie as a casual fan. What are you looking at? Like you already know it's fake. Now it's like, I can't even like enjoy what I'm, what I'm watching while it's on TV. Cause all I kind of see is that picture and trust me, they got one, two, three million followers. Mm -hmm. So you don't think, you don't think that correlates in the less people watching it because they see that on Twitter or Instagram. I think, I think, even if there's a chance that could happen, I wouldn't do it. So, I mean, long, long answer short. Yeah. I think social media, even though it's brought an entire way to we wouldn't be doing what we were doing and the horseman wouldn't be growing and other things. And Stevie Richards fitness wouldn't be what it was, what it is today without that free medium of getting your word out. But you need to temper that with a little bit of maturity as well. Of course. Now, do you think wrestlers are more sensitive nowadays or is it just that it's in our face more? Because back then, obviously, like you said, there was no social media, but nowadays it's all over the place. But we see like news articles all the time. Our friend William Alessia and the uh, Hami Media Group discussion on Facebook always posts these links. And a lot of them has been this wrestler, Jordan Grace, where it seems like she's very defensive about any kind of criticism. Are wrestlers always like that or is this just a product of our society nowadays? It's it, it's crazy because some of the ones are heels, and I don't know if she's a babyface or a heel or what she is. Uh, but if she's a heel, that's like if somebody's saying how much you suck or you're this or you're that or pointing out physical flaws. You know what I mean? Like I used yeah. to be called like a skinny little prick and ECW and people. Trust me, I don't even know what they would do if today people would go up and try to stab them or throw acid on them or something like back in the, I'm serious. Like that's, you know, like, and you would just say, okay, well, I'm doing my job. They hate me. They're going to buy a ticket, but it's sensitive. Yeah. I think, I think, but that's a whole different generation. Like my favorite person, as far as like the Twitter, his Twitter, what would I say? His Twitter mission statement, I guess it would be called a skip Bayless. Do you know who that is? Oh yeah. Skip. Oh yeah. Okay. I love skip. Skip Bayless tweet tweets and puts up stuff on Instagram. He never, ever, ever reads any mention or reply or any retweet or quoted tweet or anything like that. And that's the way it needs to be. He realizes he's a troll. He's a heel. And also going in on selling on somebody. I don't know. Does anybody ever go like if somebody comes back on them on Twitter and I've been on, I've officially, I, I have my Twitter account, but, Big Sal inspired me because 
I, I just wanted to eliminate as much whatever just so I can get my work done. Because you go into that, you go into that, scrolling through the timeline of Facebook, Twitter, and everything, and it's a it's a time suck. It's a time vampire where you're wasting sometimes hours of your day looking at that stuff. Do you agree? Oh yeah, no, I one hundred percent agree. It's a, it's a trend. I haven't been on Twitter as far as like I share stuff straight from YouTube. I share stuff from Instagram. I share certain things, uh, but I haven't been on Twitter in like 22, 23 weeks to Jeez. look at anything. But don't you see that as like a good medium to sell the fitness program? Yeah, well, I'll, tw- I'll tweet stuff to sell the fitness program. And I'd say in every YouTube video, if you have any questions, email me, stevierichardsfitness at gmail.com. Gotcha. I'd rather have a one-on-one conversation with you about it. And I understand there's something of retweeting or quoting the tweet with people that put up on Twitter of, you know, oh, I'm losing weight or this is happening or that's happening. But people know I'm not, I'm not checking replies or mentions. It's, it's actually quite freeing. If I, if I didn't have a business that needed social media, if this was a personal thing, I wouldn't be on social media. I wouldn't. It, the, it's all jumped the shark in my opinion. It really has. And plus any notable, or like this is a conspiracy horseman thing coming out right now. Oh, any notable or worthwhile information is being scrubbed or being shadow banned. I mean, I'm, I have 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. And I average one to 300 views a video. What's the, what's the, how's that possible? Do you think that they're listening to the show? They're the things that you're saying on the horseman. And, and, and this is something I kind of wanted to ask you as well. So we can make this like a two parter here is with the wrestling business. And I know like Ben and, and yourself, you know, like you, you guys are very outspoken, very intelligent human beings. I listen to every single thing you guys do. And the Friday locker room is probably my favorite well, show. You're, on the you're bad too then. <laughs> <laughs> Second after the voices of misery on Sunday, obviously, but still, do you think like the things you guys say about, you know, the big companies out there like WWE and AEW, you think that's hurting you and the things that you're saying, the conspiracy horsemen, you think that's hurting your, your views and downloads to monetize on YouTube? It's hard to say say if it hurts it because I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that are, are begging for people to finally tell the truth about a lot of different things. We don't go wonder stuff that's good or whatever. And we, we've had an evolution, especially on Raw SmackDown review from really going in on the creative and going in on management. And I can, I've been, I was there 10 years. So like what I'm looking at is actually much, I thought it couldn't get any worse than when I was there from the conversion from I was there from an era where you could go out there and try to get yourself over to some extent. I know you were asking that question earlier, a little piece of it. It, The evolution has been so handcuffed and scripted, but then there's got to be a certain point of view or a time where their point of view has to be, you know, these writers like are giving me complete shit. They aren't even getting to know me. They aren't getting to know how I can turn myself up to a volume of 11. And then the talent, you can tell, I can see what happens with the talent because I was there where never getting an opportunity, stop, start off TV for months, come back just to get squashed, being treated like, like because you lose a fake match that your value as a human being is completely null. These things wear you down to the point where you're just like, I'm checked out. It's just, I'm cashing a check. I could phone it in and still be better than a lot of guys out there. You know, that's yep. probably the way they are because it's a, it's a defense mechanism because how can you keep going out there and doing your best if they keep 
And they, they, they throw all these pie in the sky things, these, you know, grab the press ring. There is no glass ceiling. Get yourself over, uh, you know, have some fun out there. All these, all these catchphrases. That's why the Rusev is throwing it back in their face. Cause I think he's trying to get fired by <laughs> so being good. so out there and it's getting over, but they're yeah. all doing so ridiculous. It's so bad that it's actually getting over now. Well, and, and that's something I kind of wanted to, to talk about, too, because, like, I think that you came about in the wrong generation because, like, you were such a good worker. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. Like, I don't bullshit. P- people listen to our shows. They understand how I am. But I, I always felt like you were one of those really good workers. And, like, I guess, like, the the uh, backhanded thing, and I'm just going to say this because I don't know wrestling terminology, but they say good hand. And I guess that might have been how the office viewed you. But, I mean – if you were to take Stevie Richards from back in the day in 1994, when, you know, you, you were really like coming about in ECW and put him in modern day wrestling. Now, I think you'd be a big star because you had the look, you had the size, you had the build and you were a damn good worker. So, I mean, how would you book yourself nowadays if you were coming about as a young up and coming wrestler? If I was allowed, um, if I was allowed, I would book myself as like, like a Trump like heel like right to censor in this day and age because nobody, everybody else is afraid to do it. Yeah. Everybody else was afraid to wear Daisy Dukes and a half shirt because they were all tough guys and nobody wanted to entertain in ECW. And at first I didn't want to, but Raven explained it to me and I was like, wow. And then garnering real heat, not only in ECW, but then uh, I think I garnered real heat compared to other people in all companies, uh, ECW with, with being a Raven and really showing, showing, they called showing your ass, meaning showing vulnerability that you don't deserve to win a match or a title. WWE with um, right to censor, and then even with Victoria to a certain extent, these character changes. Then TNA with Dr. Stevie, because I wanted to be a heel that would have a payoff eventually after getting weeks and weeks of heat on Abyss and then other things and Kevin Nash. Uh, things happened with these characters. So... Yeah, I would I would want to go in and be full on like like outward Trump supporter. Now, do I I don't support any of these guys or women in politics, but if that garnered the most amount of heat and I was allowed to do it. The problem today is sponsors would leave things would leave and 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 things would uh, the cancel culture would come in. But I guarantee you that ratings probably would go up because people would show up and watch to hate me. And then tw- Twitter, you know, tweet and do all this stuff and everything. And knowing that I'm not reading the replies would make them tweet me even more. <laughs> that these things, but be only because now what I, my my personal life will probably suffer for it. But that's the price you pay as a professional wrestler and a heel. You could yeah. go out there and have people fucking milkshake you and do all this shit and that. And I would make sure that gets on social media because I'm a real heel. And then people will be like, I'll buy a ticket and I'll throw a milkshake at them at the, at the, at the live event. These are things yeah. that I think as a worker from a, a bygone era that doesn't exist anymore. Randy Orton may be the closest one that could do that stuff or feel that type of heat. as a, And they, they messed him up too because he's kind of watered down to a certain point. Um, but thank you. I don't think... I don't think... Um, I think the one thing that always you you're going to find us a, and people are going to listen to us go, are you, are you kidding me? Six, two, six, three, uh, anywhere between 210 to 230 pounds was not even big enough to be intercontinental champion back in 
when I was there. Yeah. They told me that. They go, you're not big enough. To, we might make you a cruiserweight, but you're not big enough to even be IC champion because you're just not a big enough guy. Today, I would be choke slamming the world champion and press <laughs> slamming people like the Ultimate Warrior. Not yeah. that I would do those moves, but for size, for size consideration, that's the that's the difference in this. And I I think that's great in a lot of ways that Vince opened up to everybody and what they can do strength wise and in their characters, not size wise, uh, but you know that might hurt it to an extent because at least when I walk through the Atlanta airport, I'm not saying because I'm a big guy or this and that, but there's a guy with a ponytail. He's a beard. He doesn't look like he works a nine to five job. He's dressed like in warm up clothes. He must be an athlete. Like I do think I stand out a little bit. And I think if you saw Daniel Bryan walk through the airport, no offense against him or even, you know, Chad Gable or somebody like that. And they, and you weren't a wrestling fan. Would you recognize them as opposed to me? Oh, no way, man. Like just casual fans of like saying that guy, he might be a baseball player or even a football player or a soccer player, like not wrestler, but he doesn't do a regular job. Exactly. And like those guys may look jacked. I mean, like that little dude, uh, Shorty G or whatever the hell they call him. I can't understand why he would even sign off to that bullshit name. But I mean, he's like a little short stout guy. He's jacked and all. But like, yeah, you're right. I would never be able to tell him apart from, you know, the fucking uh, produce stockman at my local grocery store. I mean, there really isn't anything that separates him. There's no such thing as larger than life wrestlers anymore. You just don't see that anymore. You know, it sucks. Yeah. And he's an Olympic wrestler and Daniel Bryan, both of him and Daniel Bryan could wrestle circles around me. But I, you know, I don't care. I, I never, I, I tried to learn how to draw money, not how to, not how to reverse a hammer lock. You know, that, that was my whole point of being in the business. Do you think a lot of the wrestlers coming up nowadays have their, uh, their senses of what they want to be skewed a little bit? Like maybe they just want to be known on the internet as a good wrestler, as opposed to being a wrestler who made a lot of money. Why can't it be both? Yeah, no, I, 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 I think I, it needs I, to be one A and one B with one A being drawing money because these guys, trust me, as somebody who knows firsthand and saved every dime they could and never made a lot of money in the business. I only have one I only have one shot to make that in professional wrestling. Now, hopefully, God willing, there'll be another opportunity to be able to make money to save as we go along with what medium we have with the podcasting or other things or whatever blooms out of that. But in the wrestling business, everybody Everybody is on the countdown to getting fired, release, or quitting. Uh, there's no like, wow, after three years, I feel like I'm just hitting my stride, and I feel like I'm. this is a lifetime job. You're like, you have this this looming thing that your your time is limited, whether it be by a sudden injury like Jason Jordan or other people or other things politic-wise that make you not want to do it forever. I don't know why they don't have that sense of urgency. Like, I need to make the money now. I need to make it because it, it, the longer I'm here, they're just going to keep fucking with me and they're just going to keep burying me or eventually the Vince is going to get tired of me because he's insane. I think people are just afraid to just face their own mortality when it comes to their career. And I think that these guys coming up, they just feel like they can do it forever and they don't see an end like, oh, I'm not going to get hurt. I can do this. I've done it a million times before. All it takes is one tweak of the leg or like you land your neck wrong or someone else to drop you or, you know, like get out of place for your career to be over. And I don't think these guys are faced with that reality. I think maybe they need to hire people 
that have that insight and that kind of um, perspective. And I, I think people like you would be a really good agent to kind of guide these guys and tell them, hey, make your money, slow it down, and just be smart. Yeah, but but then you have upper to mid, mid to upper management. You have other people, and and you know, there's I used to refer to it as uh, Al Qaeda Entertainment because there were so many sleeper cells. <laughs> you don't know who's. You just hear they all the time, and you're like, who is they? Even Vince says they. And it's like, yeah. who is they? Are you talking about Freemasons? Are you talking about Illuminati? <laughs> uh, there's an interesting comment. I want to bring it up right here. Um, he said, Stevie, thanks for reading. Ratings duplicity, 650,000 to 800,000 on Wednesdays. What if it's the same audience just simultaneously rather than 1.4 million viewers if it's just 850K? It's an interesting thing with ratings. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, that I, I do think it's an incestuous ratings thing. Uh, because they don't, according to what I see, they don't look at minute to minute or quarter hours, even uh, quarter set quarter hour segments like they used to look minute to minute. So I am wondering if that person with the comment, thank you very much, said that basically someone's watching it and, and channel flipping and the ratings are kind of being registered twice on one viewer or right. one Nielsen family or whatever it is. I'll say this, though, like. Where did, what was, what was, uh, AEW 1.4 million the first week, 1.2 million. Yeah. And they then blew NXT up. did like, well, then, then NXT debuted and it was 900. I think it was, I think there was almost 2 million between both of them. So okay. now you lost about an average of 500,000 people a week. Uh, what I say about raw too, and SmackDown is the ratings go all over the place. So either, what you do, because you lose an average of four to sometimes 800,000 people on Raw between hour one to hour three. I made the point on Russo. I said, what if every single week that's not the same exact view? Because you're, you're only going to torture yourself so much. You're not going to tune in on hour one every week and say, I'm, I'm out by hour three. Yeah. I'm saying there's 330 million people in, in the country. There's a bunch in the world or whatever you're, me you're measuring U.S. ratings. What if every single week it's a rollover of even a hundred thousand new casual fans that are tuning in and get tired of their product from hour one, hour three, and they never come back. So you're not losing four to 800,000 people a week. You could be losing 100,000 new casual viewers a week as well. We can total to millions of people a year. Do you see what I'm saying? The stakes are much higher than you realize of what you're losing. And if you're willing to accept everyone tuning out in hour three as a businessman, won't you look at that cre creatively, not, not with the greed that they have, but when you look at that and go, man, maybe we should have a two hour show because the hour three is killing our talent and we're not even getting a payoff for it. Well, maybe because they have so many people that they have to account for that. They feel like they need that third hour to get everyone on and they're still not using everybody. And I harken back to Vince Russo as well, because I feel like he did a lot more with a lot less time with a lot more people. I wonder what Vince Russo could do nowadays with a third hour with the roster that they have right now. And where are they failing and dropping the ball? The segments are too long. Yeah. You know, somebody said in the comments, you have to wrestle a little to make money. Yeah, that's about exactly how I did it. I've wrestled a little <laughs> as much as it took to get. <laughs> and, you know, if you watch the match with PJ Hawks, there was a, even though it was a hardcore match, there was a good bit of wrestling stuff in there, a great bit of psychology. And the match was 18, 19 minutes long. So I put in time 
But I, but I'm gonna tell you, if I could have told that story in 12 minutes, why would I go an extra six? If I could have told a story in eight minutes, why would I go an extra 11? Yeah. This is what happens. Like once you see, in my opinion, because the ratings, the ratings don't lie. Once you see a gauntlet match or a multi-person match on Raw or SmackDown, you unless it's somebody you love from that's staying in from beginning to end, are you gonna? Be like, okay, well, this match is going to be a good 20 minutes. I'm going to flip back and forth between that and Monday Night Football until it gets down to, like, the last two or three people. Yeah. And that's that's what most people do. And how can you have a blowout game that nobody I, – I, the Saints, the blowout game, even over the record was on the line with Drew Brees getting a touchdown record. How in the world does a blowout game draw 11 million people? Wouldn't it be like if there was a blowout? I mean, Fox will switch to another game. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there's people right. still watching it on Monday night instead of Raw. You're right, and man, I really wish my Giants could be on the right side of a blowout for once. I'm a Giants fan, dude. I'm from Jersey. Might wait a few years for that. Oh boy, they're pretty bad. But hey, my friend just texted me a, a question for you. He's a big Mark. He he loved you a lot, and uh, he he asked me this question to ask you right now, live in the air. What is it like to see yourself in a video game, and do you constantly choose yourself? And just a quick background on that. We used to play WrestleMania 2000 a lot, and he would always pick you. I would always pick Shawn Michaels. My other friend would pick The Rock. And it was just, and he would always win. He was really good at the game. He had fast fingers or something. So he just wants to know, like, what's it like to see yourself in a game? And, like, do you have that sense of pride where you're like, I'm only going to pick myself. Screw everybody else. And you're always the world champion beating everybody. That kind of no, stuff. no, no. I mean, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I never picked myself to see. I, it was mostly to see, like, that these video game people like me or hate me because they, they <laughs> do that. They'll give you a shitty rating uh, to to get back at you for some reason that you don't even know what, why they don't like it. But as a heel, I would see that. They had the right to censor. Some, they, they, there was somewhat of a, a fight about uh, in making me powerful or not making me powerful because people legitimately hated me. No, the coolest thing, two of the coolest things – that came out of my wrestling, I'll say three. The first thing, obviously, is I can try to do a lot of good, and I, I, I wish I could have did more good by visiting charities and hospitals and stuff like that. But like I said, as a, as a heel back then, it's kind of a little bit impossible to do that, and kids aren't going to cheer for, for a character like that. So that's my one real regret of not doing more stuff like that. And I, I still kind of think I could, but then... Am I really going to make a difference in a kid's life that doesn't see me on TV? I don't know. I have all these goofy thoughts about that. But the other two things is being video games and being in an action, having an action figure or multiple action figures. Those two things are truly, in my mind, the way to, that I feel immortalized. And now with Retro Mania Wrestling coming out in 2020, and I'm actually being a big part of the game behind the scenes with game testing, with consulting on the game with having Stevie Richards fitness and the conspiracy horseman in story mode. Yeah, that's it's awesome. really, really cool to, to have that and to be able to afford that, that opportunity for the other, the other guys in the horsemen too, that have the, they've got me in the game, but then like to be able to put my brand in and put the brand of the conspiracy horseman into it is really a big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, and uh, it's just cool, you know, but I like to see how they, I, I, you know, I used to do motion capture for the games as well for SmackDown really? versus Raw. Yeah, I did a lot of motion capture for them, and it was a lot of fun to do story mode and get run over by the car, and you did it with crash pads. It was it was cool stuff. Long days, long days. But uh, I did uh, Undertaker's entrance. I did Kane's entrance. Uh, I think I did Orton's entrance too when I was doing motion capture. 
and I we would do the moves as well. So it was it was a pretty cool experience. Must have been a hell of a payday too, by the way. It was good. I, I really wanted. Yeah, there was a time where I wanted to do that and not go to wrestling because you would get paid like. <laughs> At the time, $250 a day plus a per diem, which means I would just drink shakes and eat bars and get an extra 50 bucks a day for five days a week. Um, you worked your ass off. But for me, and I almost had the opportunity, but back then WWE didn't let wrestlers have opportunities, certain wrestlers outside of wrestling. Like I had the opportunity to do voiceover for video games or voice acting, and they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't allow that to happen, so they kind of cut that off. I tried my best to circumvent it too and try to get it going, but it's something I'm actually, I talked about it earlier with voiceovers. I got all this equipment and everything. I want to get back into uh, trying to see if I can make something of that. It's, it's it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I came really close to doing a voiceover for the Joker in the upcoming DLC for a oh, wow. video game on PlayStation 4, uh, DC Universe Online. I actually sent in an audition. I got really close. I was in the final three, but someone else beat me out. He's an actual legit actor. Can't say his name because it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I did lose out to that guy. So I came really close to doing my own voiceover work. And uh, I know that one of our mutual friends sent you a website for ACX or ACH or whatever. The uh, where you can We're not ACH. We don't go to that website. We're not allowed. <laughs> well, whatever. That, it, it's something like that. But you can, it's like, the Amazon Audible like uh, portal yeah. for long form uh, voiceover work. There's just so much out there that you can do. And, and, and I think that with your notoriety and, and, you know, like just your talent, I think you're a shoe in for anything that you do, Stevie. But I do want to ask you a couple more questions here, um, uh, especially about the video game stuff. Like, when did you time. As many questions you want to ask, man, please. Oh, thanks, brother. Because the thing is, like, we're still new to this podcast. Like, we've we've only done a handful. And we've interviewed mostly porn stars. So the fact that you have your clothes on, I appreciate it because <laughs> most of the people we talk to are butt-ass naked. So thank you, Stevie. <laughs> but uh, when did you get into gaming? Uh, because like you've you know you've been in video games and now you're working with Retromania. When when is like your first recollection of getting into video games and what were some of your favorite games growing up? Um, say I got the, I the multitasking. I'm sorry, my wife was texting me. Um, oh, no. I was always into video games. I mean, I've always been in a lot of technology stuff. That's how my YouTube channel started back in 2007. You know, and I had a tech podcast back in 2007 for a few years. It's always been based technology, gaming, stuff like that, just fun stuff and productive stuff. And of course, you know, when you're a teenager, back in the, back when I was a teenager, at least, you know, it was like Super Nintendo, Genesis, you're talking about NHL 94, where they're actually allowed to fight and there was blood on the ice after you beat somebody up and skated <laughs> over them. Uh, yeah, Super Bases Loaded was a lot of fun. All this stuff that people were like, no, now I have an arcade one-up game, you know, or I have I've retro, I'm doing retro pie or whatever yeah. it is, or the Act Gaming Legends Ultimate. I'm going to put all that stuff in the home gym, by the way, because I can relive <laughs> my childhood. But it's it's uh, it's been a passion of mine forever. I mean, even Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Sal gets <laughs> Sal's uh, Sal's just really uh, mesmerized by the fact that I used to pull all nighters with uh, with that kind of stuff and do that stuff. Shit. Hey, do you know they're coming out with a Streets of Rage 3 or, or 4? I'm sorry. Uh, Streets of Rage 4. They're coming out with another one of those, by the way. And that's like one of those old school games right there. Oh, yeah. Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage. That's the way I remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah. If they re I hope they don't remaster it to make it look like a PS4 or Xbox One game. You know what I mean? Where it's, it's not an 8-bit game or 8-bit sprites. And, you know, because I, I have an affinity for that because I think I've tweeted it out before that Fire Pro Wrestling is the best wrestling game ever made. 
And it's, really? it's pretty much a sprite-based game. I still play it all the time. I play Fire Pro Wrestling World. I have the Fire Promoter mode. I haven't gotten the entrance stuff yet, but there's video games. And you, you, you how old are you? You know, my 37. Name. 37. So you'll understand sort of what I'm saying. The video games today, the graphics, the cutscenes, maybe the, the the cinematic story is it can't be beat. But what they lack most times is uh, heart. Exactly. Like Fire Pro Wrestling has heart, has a, has, a, has a heartbeat to it or a soul that you can't quite replicate. And really, like the customizations, all that stuff with Fire Pro is a lot more efficient than doing it. And, and the loading screens are not, they're a little bit more now, but they used to be non-existent. Like, for example, go back, I, I talk about another, the ESPN to NFL 2K5 is, is the greatest football game ever made. Still is I, today. Still has feet. What time? No, I 100% agree. Everything was great. The production value of that game alone was phenomenal. Well, you know, EA just EA just bought the license to keep it from 2K because they didn't implement the halftime show. They had the ESPN license along with that back in 2006 or whenever they, they got it full-time, the exclusive rights. They, you can't challenge for multiple things. Like, like, for example, can I challenge for... Uh, did he catch it in bounds? And also, did he fumble it? These two things are highlighted. You need to choose what you want to challenge. It makes you think, oh, shit, what was it? But in Madden, you, they don't even have the referees in the game this year, like on yeah. screen. And they're thinking about bringing the referees back next year. Why don't you bring back like all the other stuff that you're in? Why don't you, you know, put a little effort in the game? There's been a, such a blowback on EA. And, and the funny thing is I'm looking at EA – and I can play Madden 19, which I just traded in because I wait till 20. I buy it like eight months later just to play my friends, not to even go through the stupid ultimate team or anything like that. But I'm looking at that, and you know what EA is going to do? I just feel it. I know they're going to do it. They're going to eventually separate and segregate the servers. So once Madden 19 is upseated by um, uh, Madden 20, they shut off the 19 servers. Oh, that's bullshit. What, what, what? They're a billion-dollar company. Yeah. They, they have stockholders, so they don't give a fuck about you or me and people that really like to. But there's a ton of – I follow a lot of YouTube channels, and actually, they, you know, they comment on my content, too. It was really cool. I think it's Soft Drink Sports and a couple other ones. That, that talk, I think Eric Moody or something like that, Eric Moody 21 or something, he puts out two- to three-minute videos of, look at what's wrong with Madden. Look at this. They didn't fix this. Look at this. And the other guy puts up the, the stuff about how 2K5 and the, the, the games of all, even all pro 2K8. I'm thinking about getting a 360 just to play that game because people are still updating the rosters in 2019, 2020. Yeah, a lot of people have some really good mods. And there was a really cool mod I found the other day. And my whole take on the whole thing with sports games is just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just think that they're too realistic now to the point where I don't know if I just suck, but I tried to play Madden. I think it was 2017 or whatever. And I couldn't throw over the middle because I always run the same plays. I'm a one-trick pony. If, if you play me a Madden right now on PS4, you, you would destroy me because I'm very predictable. So I was just throwing so many interceptions. I went back to Tecmo Bowl. I bought a Switch. And I'm playing Tecmo Bowl again, and I'm having fun. I'm blowing teams out. It, it's, it's just different. I don't know if I just can't conform or if I'm just not good at the games anymore. How do you keep up with this stuff, the technology? Well, I mean, it's funny. My wife and I, we're going to record later, by the way, and we're going to have a talk about, have a talk about concussions and CTE because I know she worries about it and everything. 
and it sounds a little too serious for like a, you, you play video games because you're you know afraid of uh, having these concussion symptoms or anything. But everything I do every day of my life is to to really keep me as sharp as possible. I I edit videos. I do stuff like this. These 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 positive conversations. I edit audio. I want to do voiceover work. I play video games, but I'm also trying to create a brand with that. Uh, I'm going to start streaming again in 2020. I'm going to start doing a lot more stuff gaming wise. Uh, And it's just to keep my mind busy. I I I use everything I can throughout the day to keep myself as sharp as possible because technology is technology, fitness and wrestling, maybe not today, but technology, fitness and wrestling to me have always represented something that's always changing. That's always something that you need to stay ahead of. That's always something that you can be as creative as you want with it too. You can do, just think, you can never get bored if you really truly look out there with the number of workouts out there. You'd work out for the rest of your life and you wouldn't be able to do all of them. If you did them for the length and you did them and switched them up like you should, you could play video games for the rest of your life. There's always going to be a new video game out and then the retro ones are coming back and being remastered. Then there's arcade machines that you can build. I I can't build them. I don't seem to be able to be good at that. Um... And wrestling-wise, you can recreate, rehash, do retro, do nostalgia, come back, stay ahead of the times, look what's going on in politics, look what's going on in uh, popular culture, and create off of that. These three things are supposedly never never stopping. So I I give you these very long-winded answers about that stuff. Uh, That's what people want to hear. But but it's very it's very important for people to realize too. That's why I created Stephen Richards Fitness. I didn't want to. I think the fitness game evolved from the one hundred percent burnout rate of personal trainers. How about personal trainers? And they, let's think about that. That's that's just like wrestling. I think the bar has been severely lowered in personal trainers that you see at the gym. They're they're basically salespeople yeah. that that, that exactly. sell first and and don't even bother to work out and keep themselves in shape. But you can only reach one person at a time. And also you have to overcome objections in person and then people won't show up, but they don't want you to charge them for the set. There's all these things with in-person training that are a nightmare. So why not use the technical knowledge years ago? I realized this to create an online one where I could theoretically reach over 8 billion people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which admittedly I thought, admittedly I thought the low price would, uh, be made up with volume, and that's a that was a mistake I made. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. No one has a crystal ball, man. And you know, like that's the beauty of life is like you have to take chances, and you don't know how it's going to shake up. But just to get back to the video games, one second here, I'm going to bring up maybe something that may hurt a little bit. But you did pitch a perfect game and a video game, and missed out on one million dollars. I'm sorry to bring this back up, Stevie, but can you tell the story for people that may have not heard this? Because I thought this was really interesting when I read it. It was MLB 2K11. I had just gotten the game. I picked Roy Holiday uh, to pitch, like, the, the first game. I was a Philadelphia Phillies fan. I still am. But I picked um, I picked him to be – because he was he, – of course, at the time, he would be he would be pitching on opening day as a starting pitcher. So I put him in the rotation. And throughout the game, I was like, wow, they're really biting on a lot of, like, off-speed pitches and stuff like that, which obviously – with that, I could probably have him last throughout the game. I don't have to throw a lot of fastballs or things that are that are going to wear him down. So 
you know, I'm, I'm going into the sixth, seventh inning and I got a no hitter and I'm like, wow, I go. And then I had, I had the HD PVR because it was, it was before Elgato was a thing with their capture. It was a nightmare yep. to capture video game play back then. You had strings of RCA cables and all this other bullshit and everything. And you had to attach it through a dongle to your, to your Mac or your PC. So in the eighth inning, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to record this. I think I'm going to get a perfect game. And they were pushing that. They were pushing the million dollar thing. And I was like, not even thinking about it. I'm like, my God, this is incredible. So I pitched the perfect game. And I remember just being like, oh my God. And I tweeted it out. I put it up on YouTube. Then I tweeted it out and people were tweeting 2k sports and all this stuff. And I'd already been a huge fan of, like I said, ESPN, NFL, 2k five. I'm still talking positively about 2k sports with that game. So keep that in mind as this happens. So they're not answering at all. And, and I DM them. And what they did was instead of saying, Oh my God, this is great. Keep get in touch with whoever they, they DM me a copy of their rules, which was like 11 or 12 pages. That was the only response I got from them. I read mm-hmm. through it and they had changed because the previous year, it was the day the came, the game came out. The okay. day the game came out, it was the beginning of the contest. And I looked at the rules and this had been changed because I looked at the, I, you know, Google, everything stays up there. So I looked yeah. up the rules from the year before day one of game release. This was day one of the MLB regular season, which was, I think, a week or two away. Mm. So that's all they sent to me. They ghosted me on that. And ghosting wasn't even a word back then in 2011. But the weird thing was about it, there's a lot of weird things. I lived in Florida at the time. And I was just saying, like, hey, maybe we can do something social media-wise that's positive. Because I was currently on TV with TNA. It wasn't like I was just whatever, you know, and, and even if I was, they shouldn't have treated me that like that either. So mm. I, I presented this thing to them. I DM them again. And I said, Hey, you guys are down in like whatever part of Florida doing spring training. Cause they were on the road promoting the game during spring training. I go, let me come down there. Let's shoot some things of me playing the game or even like a, a joke video of me trying to collect the million dollar check or something like that. Anything. Cause I, I, I was just like, I want to get, the, I, I mean, there should be in TNA. I went to them and told them they didn't do anything about it, but I know you're not shocked about that. And <laughs> they did not to this day. They haven't answered me once. And as a matter of fact, they, they put a patch out like the next day where <sighs> it didn't allow you to like, even if you threw a pitch that was like five feet on the outside, somehow the bat reached out and it would drink you know, dink over the first baseman or there was some kind of thing thrown in there that we are not going to. And then some teacher like four months later won the million dollars after practicing. He said like for weeks and weeks and weeks to do it. So it's the real disappointment with that is, is like, don't be a bunch of pussies. Like I, I, I did, I didn't even care about the million dollars at that point, although it would have been great, but, oh, hell yeah. but to get the social media credibility at that time and social media meant a little bit more to me back then and get out there and trying to push my tech channel and my tech podcast and all that stuff I was doing back then. But you know, 2k, I mean, I, I believe 2k also didn't see gate. They gave up the Madden license a little bit too soon. They gave up too easily. They didn't realize what they had, but they, they would have killed Madden. 
if they just oh, had the money together uh, to put that a twenty dollar game that still beats Madden twenty. I can almost equate Madden releases, yearly releases to like Raw and SmackDown and, and the pay-per-views. It's like you you have this built-in audience that are going to buy whatever you put out anyway. Just put out these minuscule updates every single year or just roster changes and people are going to buy it regardless. And that's kind of the parallel I see between wrestling and the Madden uh, franchise, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, 2K, I mean, I don't know if uh, if uh, the karma came back on you creating those WWE 2K games and making them so <laughs> so tight. Dude, one frame a second on the Switch? Oof. What the fuck? That's garbage. One frame a second in the 2K20 game? Like, it was the first time, the first time that I've ever seen it in PlayStation history where PlayStation and Sony and the PSN store refunded people's money. Because that game was so bad, 2K20. That just, yeah, yeah, man. Like, from what I saw online, there were some pretty hilarious glitches. There was one where Charlotte Flair was doing the uh, the figure eight, and some referee was, like, doing some 69 position with her while she was doing the figure eight on some wrestler. Yeah, it was he, just, and he became yeah. Lieutenant Dan, and his legs disappeared, <laughs> and he was, he was, like, doing all this stuff. Dude, glitches have existed in 2K forever. You get the same ones, too. You know why? Because they introduce all this bull. They introduce all this bullshit in on uh, uh, John Hartnett from American Top Team. Cool. Oh, so he's he's just a tiny bit more important than I am. No, he just I I got the phone hooked up to the Rocaster Pro so I can take phone calls like a a real radio show except with no money. <laughs> Don't worry, that is coming, my friend. But let me ask you this because you have a podcast you were talking about with your wife a little bit later. So this is where we have beef, my friend. We were the first husband-wife podcast on the Hami Media Group, and then you guys came on, and you guys really outshine us. You're much better looking, much, much smarter, much more intelligent. You do much better stuff. And the reason why I didn't put myself on mic tonight, or or, or video rather, is because I'm just too ugly, and I can't figure things out. So we found, as, as a married couple, that is very therapeutic, and it brought us closer together. What advantages do you see? With your wife, and I don't want to say her first name because I don't know if you've ever released that information. But how has that brought you two together? Well, they, 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 it came out of necessity because no one else would want to be on the show. After a while, I ran out of guests, <laughs> and and I always wanted her to do something creative because she used to work for a radio station. She used to do a lot of um, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but she would also like promotions and stuff like that. But she also would do some commercials and I said you really have a, a great voice I'm not just saying that you have a great voice she, this is the microphone she uses I use the Shure SM7B no no microphone sounds good on me every microphone sounds good on her <laughs> I mean that she has a really good voice for doing that stuff and um and it's just it just came my eyes like let's just do it you know and it wasn't framed up I'm not trying to steal your thunder or anything oh, it no, wasn't not- even framed up as a husband and wife podcast or a thing like that we were doing the couple thing, and we're really careful. We don't have to be careful, but we know there's certain. Uh, what was the other one? The unfiltered marriage one, where they yep. they they where they go very very raw with stuff and things like that. Like I'm very, I did it, I did it a couple times. I I try not to curse around my wife. I try not to do a lot of things. Although, although when I do, she calls it get going. I'm being Philly because I'm from Philly, and we have a tendency <laughs> to have tempers, but. She laughs because she knows that, like, I'll get mad and then, like, how quickly it just kind of shuts off. Not at her, but just at, at Atlanta, mostly, living in, <laughs> in traffic. But um, long story short, once again, 
the podcast with her has just become more of a therapeutic thing um, for for me too to kind of examine. Like I, I don't when I do what I do, it's mostly just asking her, "Am I am I fucking nuts?" Asking her, am I, am I just looking at this wrong or asking her questions about to give me perspective on things? And, you know, like she says, she points out that I'm a goof. And that's also, I guess, uh, people like listening that or watching that. It's, it's an opportunity, too. And I think you guys would love if you do video and you do want to add to your presentation. And all, and all you do you guys have iPhones and iPads? Yes, sir. Of course. Dude, that's, all we use. that's all we use to produce that with Switcher Studio. You see, like you have just this knowledge of technology that I just don't have. And I hear your 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 sound quality and I and I reached out to Matt Schaffer from the Hami Media Group. I'm like, dude, ask Stevie, what the hell is he using? Because we cannot get our sound that way. We bought soundboards, we bought separate mics, everything. We just can't figure this thing out. I don't know if it's just because we're just dumb, which it probably is, but you no. just really got this thing nailed. It sounds great. Well, I spent a lot of money and I found out that by spending a lot of money that you don't have to spend a lot of money. In other words, in other and a lot of this stuff comes from a review, like the microphone here, the mic arm. I didn't pay all the money for this mic arm, but it's a body of work. It's over years and years and years of videos and content. The Rodecaster Pro here for six hundred dollars, which makes people have a heart attack. It's six hundred bucks, <laughs> but 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 I looked at it this way after I got it because besides the fact to take phone calls, software wise or any other way, is such a nightmare, and the audio is compressed and it sounds like. Sounds like crap. The Rodecaster Pro here, because my dream was to have a studio and have, if you guys were in town, come to the studio. My wife and me could be, the in-person thing is always going to sound better than what we're doing over Skype. The Rodecaster Pro has four XLRs, so you have four mics. It also has, like, professional processing on all four mics separately. So you can do de-essers, you can do a limiter, you can do a compressor, you can do uh, even add a big bottom and like a, to make it sound more like a radio voice and then an exciter to bring you up. There's all these things that when you price it out, there's a, there's a piece of equipment, I don't know if you know about it, a DBX-286S, which I, I owned before, and you have to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it, and each microphone's different, and it's $200. So... The $600 console, and it only hooks up to one mic, by the way. So if you have two mics, you got to get two DBXs. So right there, between the audio interface, which is usually 150 to 200 bucks for a decent one, and then even if you need just two of those, and that doesn't count all the other things this thing does, or the phone calls, or your favorite thing with the sound pads. I love, I love that. But do you see what I mean? 600 bucks to get professional broadcast quality sound that basically you record to either a micro SD card or you plug it into the computer and you can do what I'm doing now. And then everybody hears all that stuff that I just put out phone calls, sound pads, stuff like that. Pre-recorded clips. Um, the $600 doesn't seem like, and I'm the road did I paid for this. I didn't review it and I'm, I don't work for road. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, there's a lot of stuff they do wrong that I don't like. And a lot of their customer service sucks you know, with, with, with answering questions and things, but the products they put out are really good. So if you never need to talk to them, everything's, everything's hundred percent, but I, I just feel like I, I know I'm going off on another tangent, but I feel like when you Please look at, on. am I going to do, are you guys, you guys did 172 episodes so far. 
Yo, yeah, so, man. We... So you're into a point where you're like, what's the cost per episode and our personal fulfillment and getting in and out of this with the least amount of prep time? So you go into that and you're like, okay, well, how can I make this even more portable? I yeah. reach out to Switcher Studio and I say, here's the proposal I have and what I'm going to do and everything. It runs off of all iOS devices. The iPad Pro plugged into the Rodecaster Pro or I got a portable audio device that plugs in through USB-C to the iPad Pro that plugs into two XLRs that we can just be holding two SM58s and talking. But plugging the Rodecaster Pro into that and then you've seen the video of switching shots or having prep B-roll, having yep. graphics, all that stuff. Once I'm done, Switcher Studio, I put it right up on YouTube from Switcher Studio or I edited it in LumaFusion on the iPad or I put it into an audio app or GarageBand, I should say, on the iPad Pro, and then I yeah. export the audio. It's all done on iPads, and, and the, the iPhones are the cameras. Man, I, I really need a, a like a face-to-face -face tutorial on this stuff because I really suck at it, and their earlier episodes were only filmed and recorded on iPhone XS. So I, 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 I just, for some reason, for the life of me, I, I just can't figure out how to take this podcast to the next level but we don't spend much money on this thing, and we've actually found sponsorship websites that do the work for us. And I shared it with Ben, and, I, and I'm pretty sure he filtered it around, you know. And we're we're doing pretty big things here at the Hami Media Group. But I do want to ask you about your your Nikon P900 because I saw a video before we came on the air, and it freaked me out a little bit, man. Because like I'm not there. It is. It's a beautiful camera, but it did freak me out a little bit because I'm not a believer, and and and, and I do want to get into this with you, and I know I'm, I'm keeping you longer than you probably want to be on. No, my wife's still shopping. Yeah. Go ahead. I got I got oh. probably got another two hours. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being a good sport, Stevie. Uh, you're a great guy, and this thing is going better than I ever thought. People that listen to this show know I got anxiety and I freak out a little bit, but you know, like you, you you're really good, man. So. I saw a video of you and your wife were recording something and it looked like UFOs. And I was watching the video and I'm very skeptical. And I saw like one light shoot up and I saw another light shoot up and then another one, another one. And they were going faster and faster. So it kind of made me question like what the hell is out there? And do you really believe in UFOs or like why do you guys have a, a camera that you want to focus on the moon? Do you expect something to happen? Do you believe something's out there? How do you guys feel? Well, <laughs> Yeah, that UFO video, like that, you could tell by our reaction. That's why I left the audio in there. Like, what the hell is that? Like, it was, we were filming, like, I always wanted to film a plane and then for the conspiracy horseman thing to see if, if chemtrails come out. You know what I mean? I'm just curious. Yeah. We're also curious to see if I can track the plane. It was happening at night. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, are they spraying something at night? I got to get a close up of that because we were out there to shoot the moon, shoot the stars. I've always been a big Star Trek fan, just backing up, which means you automatically are like, I love <laughs> space and space yeah. travel and everything. And, and what could be out there is always in the back of my mind as an interesting, exciting thing. And astronomy is very interesting. And the equipment and the technology, of course, I want to, that's why the P900 comes in. It has a very low buy-in rate to have that kind of quality to be able to record photos and video because usually you have to hook up DSLR to a telescope, have all these adapters. I got to figure that out. But we just wanted to shoot it and document it and show some really cool stuff on YouTube. And we joked, you heard it on the horsemen, like eventually yeah. you're going to find something eventually. And this is like, we found this a weekend, like just shooting like, excuse me, like three, four times. We were doing that. 
and uh, the CIA is trying to take me out and give me the hiccups. But, uh, <laughs> but we were shooting the plane. And then all of a sudden, the, that thing starts popping around and going back and forth and then shooting up past the Because we thought it was, we were like, is that another like plane with the lights that are kind of flashing? Because there's yep. going to be a collision, right? It looked like they were right on top of each other. It freaked and me then, out. And then I looked and, and how fast it was moving. And then I, you know, a lot of people contacted me and said, you know, nobody from anybody that flew or did anything, they were all like, oh, that's just a collision drone. That's just a collision drone. I'm like, I've never heard of a collision drone. Let me reach out to people I know that fly. Let me reach out to somebody close to me that, that was a military pilot. Let me reach out to people I know who know people at the FAA. Yeah. Um, 100% of that. Now, they could all be stupid or just be be in on the cover-up, which I don't believe the second thing. And they were like, now, nah, what's a collision drone? The hell is a collision drone? And what's it, and what's it doing like in a residential neighborhood if there was such a thing? Yeah. The whole thing freaked me out because it was like one after the other and there were like lights following no, lights. You're talking about there's a, there's a, that's a separate video. You're talking, I'm talking about just the one thing that was shooting up and moving around and making all these different, like very sharp, uh, evasive turns or whatever, or, you know, like, yeah, that did, it, I, didn't, I didn't see multiple ones. If that's the one then we missed something, well, <laughs> then there's more. There was one that you posted just recently on Twitter where there was like a bunch of lights and it was like one after the other and they you just seen the, on the moon. No, it wasn't on the moon. It was just like a shot of the sky when you guys are just kind of out there bullshitting. And it seemed like a lot of lights were just shooting. And it freaked me out because, like, I've never seen that before. Like, I've never exposed myself to that level of, um, like, you know, hey, there might be life out there. Because I, because I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. I know that if we're here, there has to be life elsewhere. Do you think that the life out there wants us looking for them? Or, like, do you think they give a shit? It, it, it's just a really broad question because like no one knows what is out there. It's like, no one knows what happens when you die. No one knows. So it's like, what do you think is out there? And like, how would they react to us looking for them? Well, I'll, I'll get the speculation in a second, but uh, there was a video. We just did a bunch of stuff on the moon uh, for the horsemen. And I've been the pre-show. I played a video of a retired I think it was a general. He was a military up there in the military who talked about how UFOs, because there's history of UFOs deactivating nuclear missiles and stuff. We've all, we've all heard that story about how they hovered over the silos and deactivated yeah. everything. Well, they wanted to China, China had done it, but we had tried to like nuke the moon before. Remember like, why the hell we want right. to do that? And, and they right. deactivated it. And, and supposedly there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, and this is a military guy. And, it, and remember back in the 40s or 50s, whenever Truman was president, there, there's footage in this video of the lights over the Capitol building, over Washington, D.C. And yep. they asked yep. Truman, like, what was that? This is back in the day, I guess, where, where news could do its job. Truman's like, I have no idea what it is. We have no idea. And we get this a lot. We're going to try to find out because... Yeah, we have no idea how something could fly over the Capitol building without, you know, the defenses kicking in and uh, get away with it. So I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he's like, I have no idea. It happens all the time. So this general comes out and talks. And then there's a thing that comes out by the CIA that says, you need to make these people, you need to marginalize these people, make them seem crazy. There was like a, an official memo about making 
people who believe in this or ask questions look like they're crazy through the media or through something else. So it was a big, big shift. My speculation is somebody calling you this time. No, no one's calling me at all. That was weird. They're beeping in. Oh shit. No, no, no. That wasn't me. That was, that was the, see, you're getting strange uh, sounds now coming through. Oh boy. Someone's listening in. That that sounded like, you know what that sounded like? Somebody, somebody coming into the call, didn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it did. But yeah, no one's calling me though. I don't see anything on my screen. Well, they, they, they can still be in. Hello, everybody. I mean, everybody who's everybody who's <laughs> not in the chat room. Everybody can. <laughs> that's funny. So, so, so my speculation is now UFOs are unidentified flying objects. The one we saw in the P nine hundred videos. I, I said, what is this? People, of course, in the comments, you're a fucking idiot. This and I. I'm an idiot for asking what it is. I don't know what it is. It's unidentified. I didn't say it was aliens. I didn't say it was, for I know it could be an experimental military drone, a collision drone that nobody ever heard of. I do believe it's Cosby math, as we say on the horseman. With all these sightings, with everything happening, if you can explain 99 out of 100, all it takes is one. All it takes is one that you cannot explain to say, well, holy shit, what it, what could it be then? But everybody, see, in this day and age, everybody knows everything without researching anything. And to me, that's fun. I don't care what the, in the end, if I look wrong, or at the end, it turns out to be something I wasn't hoping it was, the, the journey is what made it fun. Most people are afraid, oh shit, if I seem wrong, and let me look and see what people that seem to have a lot of people who say they're smart say, and then that's what I'm going to, yeah, I'll go with that, because then I'll feel smart. It's an ass it's backwards people, way to be, man. What do you yeah, think? People, what do you think people, it is? People just want to parrot anything they hear. And I don't think that people are naturally intelligent. They just hear things nowadays because there's such a, a wide variety of uh, mediums that they can listen to things on, whether it's Joe Rogan's podcast or a lot of other podcasts. And people form their opinion, not based off of how they feel, but based off of what they hear. And I don't think people take time to sit there and digest what they're hearing and form their own opinion. I think they just take what they're given and they just go with it, man. I don't really think people are smart and they don't really have their own opinions and they just kind of go with what they hear brother. But I want to ask you this though, because let me, like, let me say one more quick thing. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm thinking oh, of it. No. CT once again, uh, me too. Conspiracy horseman. I think we're, we're on a like two show run where we don't agree on anything during the episode. <laughs> I love like, it. But, but, but in the end, we're still boys. And in the end, I mean, we're talking about religion. The one thing you cannot disagree on without hating somebody. We disagree on religion. Two of us are Christians. Two of us believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in the Bible. Two of us don't believe in any of that. And we go like this for about a half hour, an hour. But we don't talk over. We don't talk over and we don't try to talk at them. We don't. We both all understand why we feel, believe, or think the way we do. Is that something going about our business? Is that something we can get into here, like near the end? Because, like, I have a very religious stance, and I know you do as well. And we just did a religious episode on our podcast, so I would like to get into that a little bit later, kind of like as a closing segment, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, beautiful. But before we get there, I do want to talk about the conspiracy horsemen, and I have never figured this out, and I and and I don't know if you've answered this question before, but how did you hook up with Ben Hameen, and how did the horsemen come about? Well, initially it was because I, I think, I know Sal knew him. I'm not sure if Papadon knew him. I think it was Sal and Ben were boys back in Louisville at OVW. So, you know, 
I guess word got out that I was I was a conspiracy guy and popping on was too, and we started getting tagged on posts, and then there was messages and stuff. And the funny thing was, I wouldn't really answer or engage a lot. I'm a, usually a very guarded person. I, I I put my when I when you get to know me a little bit, I I would give you the shirt off my back. I hate to talk like that. I, I would do anything for people that I care about or people that are in need, uh, you know, to a certain extent. Sure. But I'm also very guarded in the way that if I don't know you or I'm not from, especially in the wrestling world, I'm very guarded because I, I'm not so sure. Like, well, you have to be from the wrestling world. It sucks. I hate being that way. I try not to be that way these days, especially from the point of having Stevie Richards fitness and people reaching out for help. I try to help everybody, but uh, I wouldn't answer. And then it was funny because Bim was like, the, the Stevie, like, the, the not like dislike me, but what's the deal with Stevie? And I think Sal explained it like, oh, he's just kind of guarded or whatever. And the funny thing is, Ben and I automatically hit it off during the podcast, which was the Hamid's Hardcore Happy Hour. And we started <laughs> talking about conspiracies. And then I was like, dude, why don't we just do this all the time? I've been looking to do this because I had done a podcast call, It's All Work with two other guys That's and awesome. hey, the worst thing. And you guys have 172 episodes. What's the one thing that kills any YouTube channel or podcast or any kind of show? Lack oh, of consistency. Much. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. So, so if you're not every Sunday with yours and people like two, three days later, you still haven't released an episode. What do they do? Well, they must not be recording. They unsubscribe. Yeah. They tune out. They find someone else. Exactly. So Ben and I decided, yeah, it's going to be great. And then Sal and, popping on and then we got on and I think somebody just like um I don't forget who had said it. It wasn't me or some it might have been me or Ben. They're like, hey, it's four of us, just like the four horsemen. I go, I call ourselves something like the conspiracy horsemen. And it just stuck. It was as easy as that. And the fact that it was every Wednesday at six fifteen just makes it like and having structure with your shows and having structure and something to look forward to and research and having that that kind of like your show having that concrete day and time to start yep. means means everything. Um, so that's that's pretty much how it happened. I mean, and then it's just been, you know, or this this is probably the most organic thing that I've been involved with in a very very long. I Meaning the whole ha mean thing has been the most organic thing, and also re- recognizing strengths and weaknesses and who plays what when you have four guys. It's it's easy for somebody to say, well, I want to be the host. Well, I want to be the host. Well, I'm, ben is the best host. Oh, God, I have yeah. my part to play. Ben, Sal has his part popping on his. Matter of fact, there was times where we were like, we should switch it up every episode and have a different host. And I was like, I realized to a certain extent, having having what I do at that time, now I'm better. But back then, I wasn't a good host. I wasn't a good way to talk. I actually now can do a one-man podcast better because of the dramatic radio pauses and other things that I learned over two years of not of cutting out the ums and the ahs and trying to lower the idol uh, or lower the, you knows in my, in my yeah. thing. I think you do a great job with it. And I, and, and, and this is something I kind of wanted to address with you here is like, I remember you saying in the past how you didn't feel like you could do a one man podcast. I think you could. Cause like people care about you, they love you and they understand, you know, like where you came from and they're fans of yours, man. So no matter what you say or how you come off, they're going to listen regardless because of you. And I think your podcast, if you did your own solo thing on the side, 
I think it would be huge, but I like the fact that you do it with your wife because I do one with my wife and you guys have a great chemistry and I really do like your podcast. I listen to it every single Sunday when it does release on Sundays. Thankfully, you guys let us win the quote unquote ratings for this past Sunday, but not releasing one. But, you know, like you guys do a really good job, man. I really dig what you're doing. It's really good shit, Stevie. Well, thank you. I didn't we, we had one, but we didn't release it because I was like, we didn't dox certain things, but I talked about my experience, but a local real estate guy, I was trying to get into real estate because it had to give me the freedom, afforded me the freedom to do this stuff. And also it's my own business and don't have to work for anybody, but it was not a great experience. And I learned a lot about the people around here that I didn't like about phoniness. I didn't know existed, even though wrestling and a lot of different things. We, we, we discussed it and we discussed the whole process and how, how I felt with it. And we named names of the real estate group. And after we did it, I was like, you know, I mean, everything I said was true. But does that matter when somebody turns around and you, you slandered us, so we're going to sue you? Of course not. Oh. So we, didn't re- we did have an episode ready. We didn't release it. So, I, you know, but you would have won anyway, so I don't mind. I don't mind being <laughs> number two. Oh, you know, you guys are always number one, but I mean, like I, like I really do dig your show, man. But when the hell did the whole cat thing start? Because I was always a dog person until I met my wife and my wife had a cat that was like this human being and you would call its name and the cat would turn its head. And it was weird because I've never seen a cat that knew its name. And when my wife and I first got together, she had this cat and we would always try to have, you know, quote unquote, funny time because I don't want to get too, you know, in depth with people. But the cat would get jealous and she would almost know what was going on in the other room. She'd open up doors and she'd start meowing and she'd climb up on top of a door to make my wife have to climb and get her down. Cats are like human beings. And then it took me a little while to get used to this thing. And then we got multiple cats. We started taking them in from other places. And, you know, like we had like five cats at one time. When did you become a cat person and how did cats affect your life? And do you feel like an idiot for having so many cats? Oh, I don't have many compared to other people. It's just that we, yeah, we too, try right? to take care of ferals as well. So we only have two cats right now. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to see. The whole thing with being a cat lover, I think it teaches you a lot about life because dogs are easy. Dogs will love you no matter what. You could you could do whatever to them and then they come <laughs> back. It's short of abusing them. You know what I mean? Dogs yeah. are just, they're a whole different thing. They're loyal to a certain extent. But I think cats have taught me a lot, especially feral cats, that it teaches you a little bit about unconditional love because you're never, you never know if you're going to get it back. I mean, I'm in a... I, I literally bottle fed Odin as much as I could, which yep. my wife said I was crazy because I wanted to, I wanted to be his, his parent. And I yeah. think it's turned into that. He's my little boy. He runs around and he knows his name. He has a pattern. He knows I give in to everything he wants. I spoil him. And if he needs pets at 2am, he wakes me up and I pet him and I tell him goofy shit. Like the story that, you know, of how we adopted him. And he, he they, they know what it is, man. It sounds nuts. They have their pattern. They have their routine. People just think cats are are loveless creatures, but you have to you have to pay attention to what they consider to be love, and you have to have a lot of patience. It took three. You remember Buddy, he, the cat I put up that passed away, yeah. yes, uh, sir. little Ginger. It took th- two three years before I could even touch him, but I fed him every day, and he came around. Slowpoke, we never got to touch, and she yeah. recently. We were lucky enough to have Buddy die on our doorstep. Slowpoke did what most cats do and went somewhere. 
Yeah. And we never found her. And dude, we looked for her. I was stepping through grass. I didn't care if it had poison ivy. I was on a big like decline back there. I said, she's got to be back. I wanted to find her and bury her and give her a proper send off or whatever. But, um, that's what it is. You know, people see cats and if the cat doesn't come up like a dog and jump up on their leg and love them, the cat's useless. You have to, you have to show unconditional love and like, it's just funny. It's funny because it taught me a lot ever since I started this thing of being like an advocate for, for cats and rescues and stuff like that, that you don't give something in life or anything, even when you give somebody something and try to help them out. Most people are handing it with one hand and expecting back with two. It's yep. a very transactional thing. Yep. And it's taught me a lot more about like, you know, just because I'm giving to people or helping people and I, they aren't there for me if I need them, that, that I can't beat myself up about that or stop helping the next person. Yeah. I, I'm way too serious about this shit, I guess. I, I, I look too deep into stuff. I've been yeah. accused of being an overthinker. No, believe me, there's no such thing as overthinking. And I overthink a lot because like our listeners know I suffer from bipolar anxiety and depression and I overthink everything. My wife has been driven crazy these past few days because I've been having a couple things in my mind, you know, just recently just bothering me and shit like that. So I get it. I really do. But um, I, I do want to get into religion a little bit because I know you are a believer and I'm not, but I'm not one of those people who's an atheist. I don't believe there's nothing. I do believe there's something out there. And, you know, I did a whole podcast with a very nice guy who's, who, who, who's a pastor. I, you know, Stevie, I know you're very busy, but I would like for you to listen to it because I thought it was a really good episode. But, I mean, I just need a reason. And I've had issues in the past where I'm just sitting alone in a room and I'm staring at a pen on a table. And I'm like, God, if you're real, please move this. I want to believe in you. My dad, he he made me read the Bible when I was a kid not made me read it. Like he kind of introduced it to me and he, he had me say the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior prayer. And I said it, but I just didn't feel like it was me. I felt like I was being driven to believe in it. And now when I'm finding myself at a time where I may need a higher power, I can't fully give myself to it. And if I'm not a person who can fully give myself to it and feel it in my heart, I don't feel like it's genuine. So I feel like if I say it and I don't mean it, I won't be allowed into the palace in the sky, so to speak. So my question to you is like, when did you come to this conclusion that this was the life for you? Well, I mean, we all, we all fall short every day. We all fail every day. I have, uh, you know, we have a devotional thing that we're supposed to do every day as a couple and we don't do it. You know, there's things that get in the way that shouldn't get in the way. And it takes a lot of work uh, to do that. I was a little, you sound like any other, any other kid who grew up, and saw the world like open up to you as a kid, you were indoctrinated to believe you were, you were indoctrinated to memorize the prayers. I went to Catholic school in grade school, not high school. And I remember back then it seemed very ritualistic. I seen, I was an altar boy. I, I did all these things that I was supposed to, to do to try to be closer to God. I lay, the funny thing is my family wasn't very religious. I went to church on my own as a kid. And, and and a lot of it had to do with knowing that my family wasn't as close as they needed to be, knowing there was things going on or uh, not nothing, nothing like really bad, but just like we were disconnected. So I needed to have some sort of connection because I was a very sensitive kid and things got to me and I never quite fit in. 
Uh, and I cared a lot about that back then. So like, it's much different than now, but going to church and trying to be closer to God just was like, I need to be close to somebody. And this, this, this uh, Supreme being and Jesus should be, should be a good connection for me to tell me rules in life I need. Um, as I grew up and, and having all the injuries that I had, I recovered from these injuries and my faith, uh, told me that I recovered from these injuries, not because I'm some sort of Superman or there's, there's these great doctors in the world. Cause the chances of me after my neck injury, especially coming back and even getting into the shape and working at any level weren't very good, you know? So what, what made that happen? You know, and it's not my ever, ever loving faith for God because I fell short of even that. I only, I only contacted or prayed or it came to him when I needed something. Yeah. Instead of when stuff was going good. So in essence, like going back to what you said though, that the problem I think, but I'm not religious. But every time I look at religion these days, it's just like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's yeah. the worst. That's like, that's like saying you believe in, you believe in the things that, that like say, I don't know. Um, you believe in meals on wheels because you want to, you want to feed damn, these people. Um, <laughs> you, you believe in meals on wheels because it feeds older people. Yeah. But you, but, but the government like takes 95% of the money and uses it to build missiles. You, sure. you hate the government, but you like, you like the, the, the things that can come from it. I don't know if that's a good analogy. There is some good that can come analogy. from the, the foundations of what religion what religion brings in and draws you in with. And then all of a sudden here's the collection plate, here's the roof fund and all the shit that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus or God. Um, I think that, I think that people when they're growing up, when kids grow up, they should be exposed to a lot of stuff or at the time when the time's right, the parents should be like, we want you to look through all these things and see what speaks to you rather than thumb down, thumb down, thumb down. And then you rejected it and rebel and then you, you you don't have any faith. I think that's where yeah. Ben and Sal were when they grew up. It was like always like pushed on them, and then they became atheists from that. You um, see, I consider myself being a, 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 an atheist. But yeah, well, I am an agnostic because I don't disbelieve, but I don't believe either. I, I, I really do want there to be something and somewhere to go afterwards. And my kids are 12 and, and, and 10 now. And I've never once talked to them about religion because I don't want them to fear the things that I feared growing up. And my dad would tell me, hey, if you do this, you're going to burn in hell. If you do this, you're going to burn in hell. And I'm thinking to myself as a kid, a very impressionable youth, I'm going to burn in hell. Like I'm going to burn eternally. My soul will scream burning in fire and there's no chance of retribution. I can never get out of it. And I felt like every bad thing I did would lead to that. So that's where my problem with religion lies. It's fear. It's all fear based. And the fact of the matter is, is like there's really no cause for getting out of it. So if so, if, if I'm in hell for 100 years and I say, hey, I should have done this differently, there's there, there's no um, retribution where I can c- come to heaven where I, I, I guess in some certain you know religions. And I think um, what the fuck? Uh, Buddhism, I think, will let you out after 100 years or something like that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I am probably wrong because you're the conspiracy guy and I'm not. But I think, you know, in Buddhism, I think if you suffer for a a certain amount of time, you can be released after you've gained some sort of understanding of what you've done wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, like (laughs) I really don't know how this works. Yeah, that's pretty heavy because what you're saying is 
it's hard for people. People, people essentially, it's like no pain, no gain in, in yeah. fitness. People think they have to be tortured or punished. It, there's two different sides to it. And this is why religions on both sides take advantage of people's mental makeup with this stuff. Because people are genuinely a lot of times insecure. I, people suffer from anxiety. I, I suffer from that too. December's the worst time. You feel like you've, you haven't done anything with your life in the past year. And how are you going to change sure. it in 2020? These kinds of feelings and thoughts, religion, the institution of religion capitalizes on weakness, insecurity, people being lost, the lack of confidence, the wanting to belong to a group, all these different things. There's probably marketing materials that teach the priest and other people how to do this. Buddhism, I wasn't familiar with the 100 years of suffering. I'm familiar with the heaven and hell thing. I'm familiar with if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you go to hell. And also, there are certain religions, you know, mostly, I, I forget, Catholic religion tells you to give, but to tithe. You got to give 10% of anything you make to the church. So if you don't give 10% of everything, you're buying your way into heaven. That's essentially what these sermons and those churches are saying. Buy your way into heaven. Give to the church. But if you give to a general funder, if you say, I'm going to donate all my money to this specific homeless shelter. You're not giving to the church. We're supposed to go to the homeless shelter. We're supposed to. We talk to God. You you see, like, like we're the middlemen. You're not good enough to talk to God. You got to let me because... Of course, I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the right level of the MLM to talk to God. It's a That's, whole fear-based thing. It's a fear-based thing, but but the fear. See, this is where satanic cults or other places or the people that that the Alistair Crowley's would do us thou wilt. Oh, listen! They're telling you you're going to go to hell, and they're trying to punish you. Come over here because there's no consequences to anything. You do you see that the paradigm? Yeah. The, the, oh, yeah. the double standard you're in the middle of going instead of saying listen you're a fucking liar you're a fucking liar i'm going to search for my own truth and god knows and jesus knows whatever you believe in knows that i love them i'm going to do everything i can to live like they said i should live in the basis of it one rule one rule that nobody can really follow and we all fall short of it treat others how you want to be treated the golden rule Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. Oh, I think it's great, man. And the thing is, is like I live my life as a good guy and I'm 37 years old. I have a wife and I have two beautiful girls and I treat them with the utmost respect. But sometimes, you know, like things just arise in life where I'm like, you know what? Like I've done a good job, but if I died today, where would I go? And I've asked people because I work in a customer service based job. And sometimes I will talk to people that have, you know, religious jobs where they're a pastor or something else, whatever in the church. And I ask them and I go, Hey, well, where will I end up? And they ask me this. They say, well, have you said the prayer to accept Jesus Lord Christ as your savior? And I say, no, they said, well, you're going to hell. So they banished me before I could even get my words out. And I'm like, Hey, I do a good thing. You know, like I take care of my family. I'm a good guy. I try to take care of my friends, my family. I try to take care of other people that I haven't even met in real life. Just try to make everyone's life better. But if I do all these things right, I'm still going to get banned because I just did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, without any tangible proof. So what do you think happens to people like me who are genuinely good people or think they are good people? What happens in the afterlife? 
I'm going to give you the answer they should all give you because we haven't died yet, and that's I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I have no clue. Listen, the whole thing with that, though, is to, to accept whatever you're going to accept takes faith. So the proof part of it is just like it's never going to come, man. In, yeah. in their eyes, and in, in I have faith because it's important to have faith because faith in that means faith in other things and in, in not losing faith in people and not losing faith in what I believe I can do. It's, it, it, to me, it, it's, an, it, it's an overarching thing. And I do lose my faith. I lose my faith in God and Jesus when I see what I see getting over, use a wrestling term, the evil people mm-hmm. always getting what they need. Evil people always getting opportunities. Evil people like, dude, even in the fitness industry, I've seen plenty of evil people that are using the, the just like a cult, using these people's weaknesses and these people looking at them like a Messiah person that saved their lives and they take advantage of it and they use it as a testimonial marketing. And you can determine who I'm talking about because they, 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 they really do believe that they are that powerful. Um, Mm. I realize I'm just, I'm here to serve the people that buy the programs. I'm on the other end. I'm here to serve like everybody that I can help with the knowledge and the things that God has, uh, and Jesus, I believe in both, have bestowed on me. Going back to the faith thing, it's just what it is. It's faith. You have you have faith that your kids are going to turn out good. You're trying your best, but you don't know. You just have to have exactly. faith. You have faith that your wife is going to love you till the day you die, that her feelings don't change. You're going to do your best, but it's never a guarantee. That's, exactly. that's all faith is. You'll come to it when you come to it. You might you might come to that point where you accept that on your deathbed, and somebody's going to turn around and say, "Oh, it took him seventy five years to accept you." Better late than never. Yeah, I mean that's judging a person too. By the way, when someone tells you, who has no idea what in the world's going to happen after you die, when they tell you exactly what's going to happen to you, they're judging. It's not their place to tell you anything. They don't it's know. It's not my place. All I can do is lead by example. If everybody led by example, you would probably eventually say that prayer and have faith, being like, man, there's a ton of people are doing the right thing. And they're, you know, what, what's been say, show, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. So, nobody likes to be told what to do either. Or you, when you hear you're going to hell, or you're like, what, screw you. Like, who are you to tell me I'm going to hell, right? <laughs> I do believe in fate. And I do believe in certain situations as well, because like I reached out to you a while back before we even started this podcast and got as deep as we gotten. And I was like, hey, Stevie, can you send me a commercial and I will play your commercial in our podcast just to help you? Because we appreciate the fact that you're you know, trying to help people do things with their weight loss. And it was working for me, too. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but and don't pretend that you do, because like I want realism on this podcast and I did reach out to you and you sent me a, a, a commercial and you sent me a second one. And we played it in our podcast when we were still recording on the iPhone, the iPad. And I'm like, you know what? This guy is good. He's a really good guy. And that's why I'm happy that you're on today. We had such a good conversation because I appreciate you, man. And like it's a really cool thing. And it's it. Ben Hameen says it's called synergy. Good people find each other. And I really do believe in that mantra now. And I don't believe in a higher being, but I do believe in fate. And I do believe that things happen for a reason and things happen at certain times for certain reasons. And I'm just grateful for you being on the show, man. And I do appreciate everything that you've done. 
you know, and just being the person that you are because you're a good dude, man. And I don't want you to ever undersell yourself in the things that you do oh, for people. You were listening to the horseman, Mark, on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah no, I tend to do that, man. I'd rather be that way than think I'm like the Messiah of somebody or, or of the fitness thing. I appreciate that. And I'm sorry it took me so long to, to get, you know, to get on here and record with you guys or just you, your wife didn't want to be on. She doesn't, she doesn't like wrestling, which is great. That's she hates awesome. She, she hates it. She only likes women's wrestling and just like myself as well. Like I only like the women cause I like looking at them. So, well, I, I just listen to Ben and I talk about women's wrestling. I, I'm worried. I'm truly worried about them. So I worry about them. Anything, any criticism, you can listen to it. It's just, it's just a scary thing, man. You're looking at it on the other side of, you know, we joke about CT and joke about concussions and all that stuff, but it's a, it's a real thing to worry about. And like you said, fate and other stuff like that, if it's meant to happen and it's going to come down the line, I can do everything I can to fight it. But if it's meant, I, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the price. There's no way of knowing. I could be the luckiest guy in the world, or I could be the guy that exactly every bump I took and every shot to the head with a chair will come back in some way. But I will, I for my wife, for my friends, for people that are, that may have the burden to care for me or help me out. I'm going to do everything I can to try to avoid that. But I, I appreciate it, and I, like I said, I'm sorry that it took me so long to come on. I hate, I, I hope you didn't think I was one of those guys that was just oh, blowing no. it off or anything like that. I don't think I ever gave off that impression. I was like, Hey man, just whenever you can, that's fine. You know, but I do have a couple more questions for you. So sure. I, I do want to ask like when, when you were a wrestler um, and I hate to get back to wrestling cause I hate talking about it because I'm not a good wrestling talker. Um, did you ever have this conspiracy lifestyle before where you had these thoughts in your head? Did you ever expect, and like explain it to other wrestlers and how did they respond to it? Did they think you were like the crazy guy or what? Oh yeah. 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 That, that, that was the whole basis for the conspiracy horseman. I think we, you heard us talk about it maybe not the last episode, but recently where we were on an Island in every locker room, we would talk about it. I remember, I remember WWE, like I go, I don't know if I was going to get beat up. It looked like I was because, uh, building seven, I said that I, that's weird. How that looks? They said it was a controlled demolition on TV. It was a newscaster. I think it was Tom Brokaw or somebody said it looks like a controlled demolition. I was like, that's weird. How did that fall into its own footprint? This was like, you know, a week or two after we didn't hadn't even attacked Afghanistan yet, and I got you know what I mean. And then like I was on the plane, and they were all celebrating. We were on a flight from one town to another in a uh, for house shows. And one of the guys, I won't name him, but he got up. He's like, we just got word that we're bombing Afghanistan and everybody, but me and maybe one other person cheered. And on the way back, the person was like, Hey, I, I saw you weren't cheering or whatever. I was like, I was like, okay. And then they celebrate. I was like, there's something more to it, man. I did. Uh, you're just not American. You're not patriotic. You're, you're for the Taliban or whatever. And then, uh, <laughs> fast forward when we attacked Iraq, I said in the locker room, they're like, we attacked Iraq, we're shocking awe and all this bullshit and blah, blah, blah we're going to make them pay. And I was like, well, wait a minute, didn't we, weren't we attacking Afghanistan? Weren't, wasn't the person there? You're yeah. an idiot. You're an asshole. You're this and that. <laughs> and it actually probably cost me, like, probably cost me push-wise, money-wise, because mm -hmm. now I was this fucking nutcase. Ben went through it, Sal went through it, Papadon went through it, and now we fast forward 18 years later. Oh 
God. You know? I mean, I brought up the JFK assassination once, and, and I thought I was out of... I thought that was the safe one. Apparently, that wasn't the safe one back in the early 2000s either. Oh. Said if they were going to kill JFK, why, why wouldn't they just let this happen? Yeah. And they were like, they didn't kill JFK. Didn't you know Oswald? And he was in, I was like, he was a fucking lousy shot. What are you talking about? <laughs> he was an idiot. I had a better chance of getting it off than he did. So you did a show recently with, with your wife where you talked about plumbing and where you had a plumbing experience and you went and you yeah. were like an apprentice basically. And, mm-hmm. And there was also another story about another celebrity who, uh, uh, what the hell was his name? Like Jeffrey something or other from the Cosby show where he was working at a supermarket. Whole Foods. Yeah. And he got shamed for it. And did you hear any reaction? Like why Stevie Richards, this guy who was on the WWE network, I can see him right now. Why is he doing this like a regular job? Have you heard any of that? And like, do you give a shit? Uh, no, I don't. The second question is, no, I don't care. First one is they could be tweeting me that, that stuff and I wouldn't even know it. See the beauty of it? Like that, that can get in any, anybody's head. Yeah. You know, when you have like, oh, and as humans, 99 people could tell you you're the greatest thing ever. And that one person that tells you you suck, our human nature is to pay attention to the yep. one person. Now, now the, just saying, honest feedback on this show on what we do on the the the, the srf stuff that's welcome but that yep. kind of stuff where it always it always graded me always 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 graded me way way back whenever a wrestler tried to make a life for themselves outside wrestling afterwards or an entertainer because it really is like an attitude of you're not on my tv anymore you're yep. not entertaining me so please just die that's really what it is. And that's, I think the I entertainers that. think that. And that's why there's a lot of suicides, a lot of overdoses, a lot of like failures after, after entertainment and wrestling. I look back at the just incredible thing at, at Olive Garden because PJ loved to cook. Yeah. And, and there was another one too. Like there was a guy who worked Shane at Douglas, Target. Yeah. You worked at Target. Yeah. Now they, they you, here's what you hear. Here's what you hear. Oh, Justin Credible's working at Olive Garden. You automatically think he's a fucking dishwasher or some lowly. And what if he is? What if he is, but that's his way of paying his dues to get into a culinary program that they're going to pay for. To get health insurance for, maybe the job's right down the street and he doesn't have a car, but he'll get health insurance for his kids. Exactly. But but supposedly, and I believe it, people were calling and showing up and, and making it such... Uh, a disturbance that he needed to leave the job. Yeah. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I believe most of that's true, if not all. The Shane Douglas thing, oh, he works at Target. He's stocking shelves. No, he was in a management program where he would make more than any, almost any wrestler on TV outside WWE right now. And he would get benefits and he would have job security. And yes, he would be clocking in and clocking out and dealing with people. But... It was a it was a path to take care of his family, especially his children or anything else. It was something to um, he just did. Hold on a second, I, 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 I tell my wife all the time. <laughs> That's fine, man. That's fine, brother. But like I, but no, like I, I just finish up my answer. I'm sorry. Um, okay. I don't like to not answer her because I, I would worry if she didn't answer me. You know. So of course, of course, I get it 100. percent So the whole thing with those things and. I'll tell you a story. When I first started in WWE, I was still doing uh, day 
day by day computer work on my off days. I would, one of my jobs after my neck injury was setting up network configuration, setting up PCs, setting up things. And then I, I, I actually got a lot of work and I was going to make it a full-time thing at community college of Philadelphia because I paid my dues. I showed I could do the work. I was humble and I, I, the people liked me. And so my one day, seriously, no joke at two different projects, my one day turned into a week. They were like, we like that guy, bring him back to a month. One went from a one day job to six months of getting paid pretty good, like eight, fifteen, eighteen dollars an hour back yeah. then. Yeah. And then the community college of Philadelphia called and they took me from the one job, which I could have stayed at. And they put me there and I was going to get in a program at community college and actually just start accumulating associates degrees. If they took me on full time, cause it was free education back then. Yeah. I was like, this is great. And then WWE decided they wanted to hire me. And I said, I, I just have to see how, it, how it turns out. I, I thought it'd only be in WWE for like six months or a year and then go back to the job. So the rib was on me, <laughs> but, but moving forward, moving forward to this plumbing thing, I had a friend, he wanted to grow his business. There were certain jobs that he couldn't do alone, but he couldn't find good help. It was a, it was a skill that I saw. And I only did it one day and we're going to pick it up back in 2020. It was a skill I could pick up to where if we had problems in our apartment or even a house, if we bought it, or if we needed to build out or do something with a bathroom or a shower, we don't have to pay anybody. So essentially that's, that's money I'm saving, which means money I'm making. And it's something new. Nobody gave me any blowback on this, but even if they did, it's ridiculous. And I looked at like, at the end of the day, the money I made just being a helper and handing tools and moving stuff back and forth and learning about which pipes to put where I made really good money that day. Like on the, on the course of what an indie worker would make for a day. Well, we just had to hire a plumber ourselves to fix like some bullshit, like water issue that just wouldn't stop. And we turned off the shutoff valve and we had to turn the shutoff valve pipe into our bathtub because it was just shooting over the place. It was 400 bucks. So I understand the money that can be made. And I just don't understand why people just can't get why their favorite professional wrestlers on TV may have to get regular jobs after it doesn't work because I mean like it may not work for them or it may work for, you know, the wrestler in general, but maybe they just want to get out of it. You know, and like, and like there's life after wrestling. And I really appreciate the fact that you're so candid about it because it's really cool to hear an insider's perspective that just doesn't care about like the feedback they're going to get or whatever. And I appreciate you Stevie for just being so honest. No problem. I mean, it's a reflection. There are guys that blow their money. There are guys to do that. And it's, it's kind of like they put themselves in a pinch. Uh, these are usually the guys that make a lot of money. I wasn't one of them, like I said before, but oh, you I mean, your- it's a reflection on the industry that everybody thinks because you're automatically on TV that you're a millionaire. It's, exactly. not, always, it's not nowhere near the case. And that's the same thing for any form of entertainment. If it, people hear us because we're on a radio show, essentially, they must yeah. be making tons of ad money and this and that. I've seen radio DJs living in they, they, some of the most famous ones living like borderline homeless people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there's not much money in it or you spend your money or do whatever. It's, it's just awful that people have that attitude and people want to get inside somebody's head that wants to, that just wants to grow as a person and grow their skills or do whatever. I wanted to go to the radio station every day and observe and hopefully get an opportunity to do some stuff on different shows and stuff. Um, 
But I've realized today too, if you do that, that's what's changed as well. Back then I showed up at ECW with bags in my hand, willing to work for free and yeah. getting choke slammed every night for a year until I got an opportunity. I think in today's world, it sucks because if I showed up to that radio station every day to learn and do whatever, they're going to say, man, this guy's a mark. We can just not pay him anything and never get an opportunity to use him up and look at him. It's like a point of disrespect if you're trying to to do yeah. the right thing to, 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 to pay your dues. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's such bullshit how they exploit people's passion for their own profit. And I really hate everything about it, but I only have a couple more questions for you, Steve, because I like, like seriously, dude, like I know you're very busy and I appreciate every second you've given to me because like, we've never talked personally before today. And I would like to think that this episode here, like made us, you know, like uh friends, I guess. Yeah, of course. But is there any single thing you could change from your past that would, you know, like any one single thing that you can change from your past and just, you know, like just in hindsight that you would make your life better now. Uh, eh, just one. I, I could pick a lot. I mean, I, I don't like to look back at that and say I have regrets or try to change history. And, you know, like Papadon would like to go back and work for world-class wrestling. I don't, I don't have those <laughs> aspirations. I think, I think I probably would have done, like I said in the beginning, uh, while I was on TV, I would have done more of that charity style work. I would have I've really, even if WWE didn't put me on it on my off days, I would have done more of stuff at children's hospitals and children's charities and things to give more of myself because there was an opportunity while being on TV to leverage that. And I got caught up too much in the bubble of they're not doing anything with me. So they're not doing anything with me. So I'm sitting at home trying to figure out a way to have them do something with me. I wasted yeah. a lot of my time getting caught up with the mind fuck of the business instead of using whatever name I had to do good on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before going back on the road. That's probably my biggest regret of not doing more to, to make the world a better place and being a little too introvert uh, during that time. Oh, uh, trust me. I get what being an introvert means, man. Like it's really hard for us in general, because like, as we talked about before we even like went live here, like we don't even have our freaking video live because like, we're so hard to put ourselves out there because like the things that we say might be controversial to some people. And other than that, you know, like we, we just have a really hard time putting ourselves out there, man. And I get what you're saying, but what does the future realistically hold for Mr. Stevie Richards? Uh, the future is just going to be, even if it's more of the same of what happened in 2019, it's going to be really good. I mean, the Hami Media Group and everything uh, around it is growing. You know, you you were nice enough to introduce us to Podcorn, and that looks like a great opportunity. Uh, 2020, if I can just continue to just be a little bit better, a little bit better every day and not trying to, I don't know, I, I'm like you. I can get down. I can get anxiety. I can, I can screw myself over mentally and emotionally and, and freeze myself paralysis. I, my wife laughed. I said paralysis by over analysis. <laughs> I do a lot of that. So, um, you know, in my mind too, trying to, to, to do the work daily, to do those devotionals with my wife, to, to, to grow closer into our faith and, and take it there. And, and really actually more so sounds really weird disconnect more from social media and engage yeah. more in this 
Oh, yeah. Create content. Be on the creative part of it instead of the consumption part. Well, the thing about taking chances is just taking chances in general, man. Like, and the fact that you took a chance on us, and I feel like we've done about two hours now, and I feel like this has been a very good conversation between two people that have never talked face-to-face or face-to-avatar, whatever you want to call it, and... You know, like I was very nervous before this went on. My wife would have been on the show, but she hates doing interviews of people. She doesn't understand everything about. And we both freak out because like we're we're brand new to this thing. Like we don't have a name value. We don't have any kind of notoriety. So the fact that you wouldn't put yourself down like that. And also, that's exactly why you interview people. That's exactly why I started the podcast again to learn. If she doesn't know anything about me, just ask. I think she'd be. She'll be very surprised at some of the stuff we talked about. She'll be like, oh, I could have. I'm sure she would have been right there in the conversation. Oh, I'm sure, man. And you know what? Like, maybe we could do a duo conversation with your wife, you, me, and my wife. And maybe we could do a joint episode for a Sunday episode, man. Like, just, just talking the shit about anything. Because I feel like we have that rapport now where we can kind of talk about whatever we want. You know, like, no, you know, like, uh, doors unturned or whatever. And... There was something else I want to talk to you about. There's so much more shit I want to talk to you about, man. And you're just a very interesting guy, and I really do appreciate you, and I love you for everything that you've done. And you're one of my favorite people that have ever wrestled, and you're one of my top five guys of all time. And it's just something I don't take lightly when I don't you – know, like, I really don't say shit I don't mean. So I, I just appreciate hope you- that, man. It means a lot. It means a lot. And I'm not, as you know now, after the fact, there was nothing to be nervous about and no nothing to, you know, to stress over. It's your show, man, not mine. I'm the guest. You you have full control over it. Just realize that. I got no control over shit in life, dude. But I I, I really do appreciate you coming on the show, Stevie. And uh, man, like if you would grace us with your presence once more, we would like to have a duo conversation with the wife and the husbands. And we could do this thing and just have a good conversation about just life. Yeah, I'll talk to the boss and see what she says. <laughs> I got to talk sure about there won't be anything on cat. Yeah, it'd probably be all audio at that point because I can, I can, we can just be right here and just hook it up to the roadcaster and everybody can just relax. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll figure it out, or I'll trick her by getting her on camera eventually. No, no, like, I don't, th- I don't see that being a problem at all. I'm down for that. That'd be fun. Stevie, you're, you're a good guy, man. I hope you're not just blowing smoke, my friend. I, I, I really... don't have energy for that, man. I don't <laughs> have any energy to, to lie and do stuff like that. I mean it. We'll do it. All right, brother. This has been the Voice of Misery podcast with Stephen Richards, man. One of my all-time favorite wrestlers of all time. And, uh, yeah, man, like I am on cloud nine right now just talking to this man. And he is one of the greatest performers of all time. And I wish he would have gotten a bigger chance to be a world champion. But you know what? Like things just don't always work out the way that you want them to work out as a fan. But, you know, things work out the way they're intended to be. And Stevie, thank you for coming on the show. I love you, brother. I thank you guys. I love you guys, too, man. Thank you. Later, man. Yes, it is I, Bin Hameen, commanding all of you to join the wrestling revolution, the underground of media, and follow our brothers at Voices of Misery on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast because they support HackerHameen.Podbean.com and you will go support VoicesOfMisery.Podbean.com because there is no more misery when you leave those FM Mark channels and you join the media underground of Voices of Misery and HackerHameen.Podbean.com. Rise and praise, y'all. <laughs>